0: It's been five years since Troy Young came to Hearst from Say Media with the mandate of building out the magazine empire's digital division. Today, as the global president of digital for a media empire that includes Cosmo, Esquire, Elle, Good Housekeeping, Town & Country, the the list goes on, Young is redefining what it means to be a 130-year-old company with its roots in print. Today, he says a third of all its digital content is video, with a stated goal of reaching the 50% mark. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of Ad Age, which itself is a mere 89 years old, and today we sit down with Troy to talk about, yes, the pivot to video, but also the pressures digital has placed on print publishing, consolidation in the media space, and our current era of distribution instability, especially as Facebook switches up its algorithm and Snapchat pushes through brand-effacing redesigns. But that's enough from me. Let's pivot to Troy. This year are going to be your fifth year, fifth year, five years. It's so a nice round number. Again, I think of more of a square number. Um, how is how how are things how are things going?
1: I mean, broadly, I would say that Hearst is a, and I mean it when I say it is a fantastic place to to work and do this. And um, I mean, it's a really entrepreneurial company. It holds you accountable to deliver numbers it teaches you a lot because yeah. it's really rigorous about that um i think the people are i mean i think it's an aggressive place to try to build a business mm-hmm. but it's uh the people are great and so I, you know that that's been you know I, w- I would say that going into it five years ago a lot of people warned me like yeah this will last a year 18 months right. you know those transformational digital roles don't really work out for everybody and um you know i think it's really on account of the support of David Carey that it's been a a really incredible experience I mean I'm just like literally I'm really thankful that I did it
0: and it's interesting that that you say that because you know five years ago 2013 Hearst was a very different company Mm -hmm. publishing was a very different landscape uh, than it is today what how would you characterize those differences Hearst of 2018 versus 2013
1: well I think that you know the the pr- sort of precipitous challenge, like, uh, uh, you know, pressure, well, the pressure on the print business has really escalated over that period of time. And, sure. and, you know, certainly the hope is, is that you, you know, that we're growing digital businesses that offset that. Um, so, you know, I think that I brought a sense of urgency. Uh, I brought, uh, a real focus on young talent and, uh, and what was the
0: mandate that you came in with?
1: the mandate was to c- you know to build a real digital business and compete with the pure plays right
0: and the mandate today
1: the mandate today is continue to evolve the business because mm-hmm. it's is to invent you know is to invent what lifestyle media becomes next right and to map our way through a changing sort of industry environment that's going to mean there's a lot of consolidation right well, and okay, uh,
0: you said the word. I mean, you guys recently acquired Rodale mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, Meredith acquired Time mm-hmm. all like within a month span of each other. Yeah. So consolidation is in the air. What does that mean to you? What does that suggest to you?
1: Well, I mean, I think that there's just so many areas where the benefits of scale are obvious and necessary. Yeah. Um, and you know that I've talked over the years about our investment in technology. For sure. um, but if you look at all of the things that you have to do to compete with platforms to be a successful digital business, which, you know, really uh, there's a, a sophisticated technical requirement, there's um, a real maturity in, in ad products and how you bring ad products to market, um, you know, there's real significant investment in editorial and how you're evolving that to meet the myriad of content environments that you're publishing to and the content types. All of that gets harder and harder when you're a mid size or small publisher. Right. And you're doing that and you're balancing the pressure what used to be a real profitable business, the, the print magazine business. So what happens is is that the the case for scale just becomes clearer and clearer. And you know, Rodale specifically, um, you know, the reason I always liked it is because they're service brands and they're enthusiast brands. Mm-hmm. And
0: what are some of the titles?
1: Well, Men's Health and Women's Health and Runner's World and Bicycling and Prevention. So these are brands that are trusted. Um, They're about wellness. Um, That's something that fits the time we're in. And they're great category brands for the Internet because you can really do well in search and in service. And then on the enthusiast side, you know, if you're a runner or you're a cyclist, those things are among the most important things to your Mm -hmm you know, your personal identity into what you spend your time doing in life. And I like that as a starting point for building a publishing business.
0: So it's both in a way it's your, it is a scale play, but also when you talk about those enthusiast titles individually, they go narrow and deep. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, those are the two trends that I've seen. I think I agree that the, the, that sort of, um, Soft middle is is what's going away. But you have the smaller publishers who can appeal to a niche audience that are doing well. And then you guys who can sort of cobble together scale through us.
1: We can deliver scale and we can yeah. deliver real specificity. Right. Uh, and then the plat- the platform benefits that I speak to are rendered across, you know, we have several hundred media publications around the world. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those are small businesses. So they they require a kind of platform mentality that we can deliver to the cent- from the center right. to work so you know we have like you know delivered on this vision of having a single platform that is consistent across media brands all over the world right. from Japan to Taiwan to Italy's you know Spain England etc so And then when you, when you talk about
0: these sort of enthusiast titles as well, this sort of brings to mind something that I know that is, is near and dear to you or Hearst, at, at least, is, is affiliate links mm-hmm. and linking in, uh, as a revenue model. How, how is that working for you? I,
1: I'm completely infatuated with it, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you why, yeah. for a lot of reasons. Um, first is, um, you know, as much disruption as we're managing in media, hmm. the way people buy and I just don't mean, oh my god, look what's happened to retail, retail's changing, but the way we get products into our homes, and you know this, mm-hmm. because if you're a busy parent mm-hmm. living in New York City, like you could literally never leave your apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there, it just the way that we're served by retail is, uh, is changing so much, and mm-hmm. I think we, as merchandisers, can play a really big part in that. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, the reason I liked what we've done in commerce, and, and just to contextualize it for the audience, We've, we've, we've basically built um, e-commerce into our publishing platform so that if you're an editor and you're looking for, you know, Red Jack, it's under $500. You just type that in and we deliver all the products back and all the pricing and availability of those products are updated real time if we publish them. Mm-hmm. So it's basically like a commerce system and a content system. And what we do, what we're able to do as a company is understand what it takes to actually sell products. So we sell millions and millions of dollars worth of products every month. And we get paid to do that ourselves. So when we sell advertising to people, increasingly advertisers wanna know, did it work or is it gonna work? And we know increasingly what works to get a consumer from a distribution point like Google or Facebook onto our pages, uh, merchandising that, product with content and recommendations and our the authority of our brands and getting them into a transaction so mm-hmm. for me it's totally about eating your own dog food mm-hmm. we're building systems to sell stuff mm-hmm. and we rent those th- that knowledge in those systems you, to our advertisers you like to yeah. um where where
0: do these affiliate links most commonly live i mean I'm, if i'm reading a story on uh, Cosmo, am I going to be seeing them, or are they a separate sort of affiliate?
1: Well, we we, we have a test bed, as mm-hmm. I think of it, where we build all of our commerce technology around a property we have called Best Products. Right. That that particular brand is entirely focused on understanding shopping trends and search trends and building content and and sales around that. Right. Uh, we take all of that learning, build it into the platform, and it's available to an editor across any one of our brands. So. Okay. Uh, we sell things on PopMec, We sell things on Men's Health. We sell things on Cosmo. Okay, and
0: you and you do this in a way that is, you know, is, what are what are the rules around labeling or what are the concerns around, uh, you know, it, it's a way to get a lot of cheap content, I would imagine, but, but you don't want it to be bad content. <laughs> you know, like these are the five coolest um, Swatch watches that right. we saw this week. You know, yeah. is, there, is, that a, is that ever a concern?
1: You know, I think our editors hold themselves to a high standard. Right. We are a premium publishing company. Mm-hmm. I think that adding, you know, product and the ability to buy that product into a story just makes it better service, makes mm-hmm. it more useful to the consumer. I think to the extent that you're just publishing something that's about selling a product, you need to disclose that to a consumer. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, the consumers will figure out whether you're real or not. You right. know what I mean? Like, yep. we, we uh, I mean, I think there's a difference between a product recommendation in the context of a car and driver, like buy this car, mm-hmm. and here's a nail polish you should consider. Right. Right. And so we understand the difference between you know, really rigorous, sort of product reviews and 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 product suggestions, and hmm. we we manage both.
0: Um, do you have a sort of revenue figure on
1: that? Well, you. not that I would share, but it's, big, <laughs> no, it's <laughs> a big, big part of our revenue. Yeah, and, and we're going to do more. You know, yeah. uh, we just see things that really point to our future in interesting ways. So, like we we for example built this food brand called Delish, uh-huh. and Delish is a sort of. Uh, a, a brand that celebrates food and fun, mm-hmm. right? And so we've been doing these, this series called What the Food, where we find like the crazy, wackiest food all over the country, and mm-hmm. we do these sort of short docs on them. And we were doing one sort of near where you live, around mm-hmm. uh, this this company, I think it was called Brooklyn Brine, mm-hmm. that makes whiskey pickles. Yeah, I know them. And we sold like 100,000 bottles of pickles. Mm-hmm. They must have loved that. Uh, oh my god, they <laughs> couldn't keep up with the production. They, yeah. It was bananas. Yeah. And um, you know as a media company we want to we we want to understand obviously the value of the content that mm-hmm. we create and where possible trap some of that value because mm-hmm. that's kind of where we are in the world yeah. like you know I mean it used to be those things were all separated but increasingly you know our content gets you know gets paid for you know the the commerce that it supports
0: right so moving on from commerce um, you s- about a year ago, you, you said that you wanted, um, at, at, a s- at some point in the future, that half of your content would be video. Mm-hmm. That was the that was the goal. Did you ever have a put a sort of due date on that, or?
1: I don't know if I put a due date on it. I mean, what I saw was, and I and, and, I wh- and where s- are you now? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, I think if we looked at the pro- at, at the content creators in the group, mm-hmm. about a third of them are video related. Yeah. Um, what I saw at the time was. Uh, that one of our significant distribution points, Facebook was pushing mm-hmm. us to create more video. Right. That we were creating more and more video for YouTube. Right. That we were doing, I mean we're we we were working on paid productions in you know, in television and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And that we were just spending a lot of time on not just video, but video and kind of multimedia content as well as text. Mm-hmm. I would say that that today it's probably a third of our resource in that category. Mm -hmm. I think it's less than that in revenue. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, we do sell, you know, pre-roll, we do sell, um, you know, obviously branded video a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, being a multimedia creator is just part of the market we're in now. That's what we do.
0: Um, it's interesting that you said that, uh, because there was, you know, Facebook was pushing for it. And we, we can talk about Facebook, that's a whole other topic in general. Um, the the advertising dollars are there. is there a consumer demand for video, or is it being driven by the advertiser demand
1: Well, there's certainly an advertiser demand but hmm. uh i mean I think there is a i mean i it would it would sadden me personally <laughs> if people stopped reading yeah uh and I think there's a lot of utility in text mm-hmm. I think there's something about text that's incredibly efficient and mm-hmm. and obviously it's you know Uh, a a great medium to tell stories but the uh, uh Certainly on Facebook, they seem to want it, consumers. I mean, the feed is like, you know, your feed is half video today. Right. Uh, And, you know, video is, you know, completely permeated other environments like Snapchat and Instagram. Mm -hmm. So uh, it would seem to me that consumers want it.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, in the past year or so, we've seen a lot of these publishers, sort of the quote-unquote so-called pivot to video. You know, we've seen box.
1: Well, but let's talk about that for a second. mean there's a
0: difference between pivoting to video and what you're doing? Or
1: is there... Well, I think pivot to video means that you dedicated your business to serving mostly uh, to to, to producing video to distribute in Facebook, Mm -hmm. an environment that really doesn't have a monetization model for most publishers' video. Right. And I think that when that, the realization that that wasn't going to sustain a business model and that the related p- second pivot that people were hoping for, which is that they would become essentially TV producers or sort of virtual cable networks mm-hmm. for the more ambitious of them, suddenly felt maybe further out or, or much more difficult mm-hmm. that you were saddled with a lot of costs and not a lot of revenue. And that's not what I did. You know, we, we've certainly followed consumers and advertisers' appetites for video. Mm-hmm. We've wanted to mature our content creators to be, versatile mm-hmm. just like we're sitting here right now and we're you know you're making a new type of content yep um, and it's I actually just, an old type of content well, an old type, but, really well, you new. know podcasts make it yep. the, the old makes new it sound new, new. So, anyway I yeah. I, uh, I think that the hard pivot to Facebook video has not been kind to folks
0: to a sure. lot of people yeah well Facebook in general I mean as as we've seen in, in recent news you know you live by the Facebook algorithm you sort of die by it right Um, how would you characterize your relationship with Facebook today?
1: I mean, I I think it's fine. They know how I feel. Facebook (laughs) doesn't owe me anything. Right. I mean, I buy media on Facebook. Uh Um, I distribute our content on Facebook. I think one half of the organization hopes that I keep spending money on Facebook. Hmm. I see Facebook as a toll highway for us. Right. Um, And I don't have a contract with Facebook that says, you know, you're going to give me money to distribute our content there. Yep. It's an opportunistic relationship. Now, do I hope that Facebook adopts a different point of view to dealing with premium publishers? Yeah. And, and to me, that would be f- about one word. It would, be, it would be fundamentally about curation. Right. And
0: which if, is not what it seems that they're no, interested they
1: in. Don't, well, they haven't seemed to. But if yeah. they said, we're going to take the 100 top publishers in these categories and make a more permanent place for them in our, in, you know, in our experience, uh-huh. and here's the economics on which we'd share uh, revenue, which would be sort of like a Snapchat thing, right? Uh-huh. Uh, we would love that. Um, I think that publishers are sick of trying to really understand... You know, to sort of predict where Facebook goes next and what the implications will be for their business.
0: For sure. But a few of them have built their whole business model around that, which, you know, I guess. We'll see how it plays out. (laughs) Shame shame on them, right? Um, But you've also recently launched a whole division, and is this correct, dedicated to creating video shows for distributed uh, platforms
1: we are creating shows yeah, yeah. I mean w- Facebook paid us to p- to make several shows yeah i think and they're uh, paying they're paying us to create video right. as well uh that's good yeah. uh you know we have a we have a, a show that we're working on for for cable um, yeah. we, we you know we pitch ideas constantly <laughs> to outlets that want to pay for content yep uh, we see that as you know we're we 're really we're really entrepreneurial at any given time we've always we've got five or six different new business initiatives going on. And we like to grow company, or we like to grow revenue streams organically. And uh-huh. you know, I would put Delish in that bucket. I would put best products in that bucket. We have a kind of a, an audience development tool that we built. Um, so there's a lo- always a lot of things going on. And I look at the ability to create a sort of homegrown production company to do that as uh-huh. a, another organic initiative. And some of them will work and some of them won't.
0: Yeah. Talk about Snapchat, you've got seven channels
1: six or seven channels
0: yeah, yeah. and uh, I think some publishers have had uh, reported varying degrees of satisfaction with Snapchat. Well I
1: think this year will be will be telling yeah uh, we we look at, we're, we're very aggressive partners and mm-hmm. very aggressive content distributors hmm. um, so we we've had a great experience with Snapchat we found really large new audiences there that yeah. are, I think, good for the relevancy of our brands. And, and they've always made money on Snapchat.
0: And they keep coming back, those audiences? Yeah, the redesign. audiences are big, and the yeah. audience
1: continue to be big. But the...
0: The, re- you know, the redesign affect anything for you guys?
1: The redesign seems to be, you know, I, 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 I don't know, I'm not an authority on, on what the impact is, yeah, but yeah. the redesign seems to be moving people through more issues. Uh-huh. Uh, and maybe they're not going as deep as they used to. So I think that you're still seeing a lot of activity, uh, but it's, it's easier to move from brand to brand.
0: Right. Well, and the, the problem with being easy to move from brand to brand is not being able to tell necessarily which brand you're in. Brand differentiation gets harder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you, how do you counter for that?
1: Well there's yeah. all kinds of design things. I yeah. mean that you have to do and you have to, you know, figure out what your voice is, but I think yeah. that's a problem.
0: Yeah. So you, but you haven't had your Kylie Jenner moment yet with Snapchat where you're gonna tweet out your chagrin and cause their stock to crash.
1: No, I think we should <laughs> all be cheering for Snapchat. Yeah. yeah. I mean uh, you know they've I think they've been incredibly innovative as a product company and uh you know it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that going.
0: Um so we're talking about, we've been talking about video, Snapchat, Facebook, all of these things that are not print, and Hearst is historically a print company, right? mm-hmm. rooted in print. Uh, there there's is... There's nothing better than print. I, print. I love print. I love print. I love, print. I love it. I love holding yeah, sat it. sat last
1: it. weekend uh, in the country reading three or four magazines, you know, uninterrupted. Yeah. And Which ones? Well, I read Esquire, <laughs> and I read Runner's World, yeah, and I read Bicycling, and I read... Uh, Oh, bizarre.
0: With all this pressure on print, though, um, do you? What are the conversations around reducing frequency or sort of leaning into the decline of print? Maybe going full digital on some titles. Is this an active conversation you're having across? It's the
1: always a conversation. Yeah. Um, I guess what I want for print is I want to keep it great. Mm-hmm. And what what I think has happened is, uh, you know, publishers have. Attempted to find better economics is it's come out of the product, mm-hmm. uh, and I would rather it come out of frequency than it comes out of the product. But mm-hmm. know that making frequency decisions against ad schedules can be really, really complex in terms of how they affect your revenue. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have but a case study of a uh, time where you may have reduced frequency? That
1: not, not that I could share really, yeah. but 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 I guess my point is important. Mm-hmm. It's like. I love magazines, right, and I love print, and I think that there's an intimacy with magazines that isn't that 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 surpasses other mediums mm-hmm. and I grew up with them i from the time I was really young, i've been a voracious consumer of them mm-hmm. and like i said i I think that in an effort to to manage costs, a lot has come out of the product mm-hmm. and what I want to see is. I want to maintain product quality. Is there and so like that's why the frequency thing? I'm kind of passionate about because mm-hmm. I'd rather see a magazine that's great quarterly, correct, than Gold something that's not as good that's ten or eleven times a year.
0: We we talk a lot about innovating digital, uh, and in that space, is there room still to innovate in print?
1: Or I mean, I think there's room to innovate always, mm-hmm. and I think that. While mediums retain their shape and characteristic over time, they also respond mm. to their environment. Mm. And so, an example would be: How do you rethink the front of a book in a magazine in an era with you know when, when when the internet exists? You don't need the headlines anymore. Right. Yeah, and you might not need all the short copy and the right. news stuff. Right. So, I think that that mediums, you know, shape shift in response to the broader media environment uh, and magazines need to do the same. But listen, I also think there's innovation around doing cool stuff with, you know, being able to not, not scan a magazine to th- see some type of, you know, 3d AR thing, thing weird, yeah. but, but putting product codes in where you can use your Amazon app to scan a magazine. Isn't a bad idea. Yeah. We're doing stuff like that with Cosmo. Cool. Um,
0: can you talk about talk about your management style? I've read a bunch of profiles of you over the yeah, years. Re- is it good? <laughs> <laughs> they're all they're all ultimately flattering. Yeah, um, but I think you've I'm been a good manager. You've right? been described as as headstrong. This is a direct that quote: "Bull in a China shop."
1: Probably.
0: <laughs> in person, you have a sort of a quiet intensity.
1: Yes, I'm intense.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd like do to y- win. How do you think of managing what, when you think of I managing.
1: think of managing, <coughs> I think managing is always, always all about understanding the person. Yeah. To me, it's a Venn diagram of who is the human being in the job. Mm-hmm. And that if you get alignment between what a human needs and what the company needs from that human, and what I mean mm-hmm. is what a human needs at a deep level, right. uh, then you have a great work relationship. And I mm-hmm. think that the best companies turn, make people better. Uh-huh. And, um, and they do that by really understanding who they are and what their, you know, fears and aspirations and insecurities are. And that's where I go with yeah. people. I get really personal because uh, I love people. I love laughing at work. Yeah. But I'm intense. I want to. I want to win. And yeah. I want to. I want to accomplish great things. So, um, I'm pushy for yeah. sure. I'm pushy. I don't know. I try to change over time. I, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> uh, my own kind of personal self-mentoring is yeah. never complete. Yeah. And there were a lot of days when I go home and I think, oh my God, like, you really fuck that up.
0: Right. Well, I think you, you don't stop growing if you don't
1: do that. Yeah. Well, but so I'm kind of relentless about that. Well, that's good. Uh, we'll talk about where you were
0: before Hearst. I mean, you came from, uh, say, Media. Yeah. And, and before that, you were Video
1: Egg. Well, Which it was the same like company that we company. evolved over time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I worked for Omnicom before that. Right.
0: So, this, But this is your first sort of traditional media job, even though you're My first a job when
1: I was going to graduate school, I worked in, in media at a newspaper. But hmm. uh, um, this is my first, I guess, kind of, you know, it's a, maybe a more established, larger organization, yeah. Except that Omnicom was a huge company. Uh, what from your previous
0: experience either helped you or hindered you in the, in this role? Uh,
1: that's a good question. I don't know. My previous—I don't think I've ever done anything differently. <laughs> I I um I like to find the shortest path between A to B. Yeah. I always have fun at work. Um, I I take it really personally. I never really feel like I've never done anything in my whole life professionally that I didn't want to do. Right. Um, I've only ever pursued what I was interested in, mm-hmm. and it worked out for me. Right. I, I never really, um, I, I think about this a lot because I, I have a life that's full of these kind of, you know, this kind of, you know, this journey that I've taken that's not been planned out, and it started when I was, I remember my dad died when I was going to college, mm-hmm. and I his sort of parting words to me were like, get into a professional program, go to business school. So I decided to go to business school. Uh-huh. And I was living in Canada at the time. And I was like, you know, I was a confused young guy. And I, um, y- you know, I, my, my first real job came, came about like this. Mm-hmm. I finished business school. I, didn't, I moved to Toronto. I didn't know what to do. I was a waiter because I thought that was the easiest way to make money without any qualifications or uh-huh. commitment. I was tired of being a waiter and I was in a section one night and a guy asked me what am I doing and I explained it to him and I said I don't want to be a waiter anymore and he said well what do you do and I said well I have a finance degree and he said that's funny I'm looking for someone in finance and uh, he was an executive at Nortel Uh and he gave me a job and I did that for like two years analyzing system investments and stuff like that and I'm like I will never do this anyway. <laughs> I hate this. And then I went and traveled around the world, <laughs> and you know I started working in media, uh-huh. and I realized that there was a future where you could be both analytical and creative, and I've only ever followed that. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of just kept working. It just works out for me. Mm-hmm. So what's different about Hearst is, Hearst, it, first of all, there's lots of really incredibly smart people. Um, it's taught me... Some financial rigor mm-hmm. it's taught me perhaps that there are times when I have to really you know think about the environment in which I'm you know speaking or communicating an opinion or a point of view um, so I you know I mean I think there's a conservatism to it that mm-hmm. maybe doesn't exist in a startup and certainly not in an ad agency mm-hmm. and, um, but uh, but you I seem mean, how lucky am I I mean, I mean you seem so
0: you seem to have brought a sort of startup mentality certainly to, always to, to yeah, yeah, always Um, what do you think of William Randolph Hearst ever or what he would make of what his company is today?
1: Oh, I think you'd be immensely proud of it. Yeah. I mean, look at this thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredibly diversified, smart, I mean, it's like the smartest media company in the country. It's Mm -hmm. a really great place. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you
0: could work somewhere else, where would it be? Or had to? Uh, Ah, that's a great
1: (laughs) question. Um, I, I... (laughs) Despite the fact that cable networks are under a tremendous amount of pressure, I think yeah. they're really interesting places yeah um, you know you'd love to you'd love to see what you could do at a at a place like an hBO right. you know you there are uh, you know I think that the 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 networks and the cable networks are going through a time of intense change I mean it, they could benefit from a lot of the thinking and the things that that we've learned. Yeah, I mean, I think it was started with the music industry, right? Uh, now it's
0: hit yeah. hit publishing, and then I guess the newspapers and the yeah, yeah. newspapers, yeah. cables next. Uh, it's interesting that you say you always have fun at work because these are very challenging times. Yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, you know we're in. I, th- I, I think I've heard you say recently that we're in a period of distribution instability. Uh, what? And we we sort of talked about that a little bit already, but but. Um, what do you? What does that mean to you? This this distribution instability, and
1: how do you? How does it level up? Yeah, you know that's a that is also a terrific question. Well, everything levels out over time, or right. it becomes more, the or change accelerates. Right. right? There's always waves of change. Uh, I think that uh, companies consolidate, mm-hmm. or you know, s- you have a new kind of scale that enables these companies to to thrive in a new environment and compete with, you know, powerful distributors. Mm -hmm. That's happening everywhere in the media industry, whether that's the Disney Fox thing or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, any of the changes that you're seeing. So there's always going to be a kind of leveling of content and distribution. You would hope that the emergent, you know, distribution environments, whether that, you know, the Facebook or, you know, any of the places where we distribute our content, over time, those become more stable environments with understood, predictable economics, which would give the business stability. Without distribution stability, it's chaos all the time. Right. right? So, uh,
0: which uh, is what it is right now. It is chaos. It's really chaos. How, right how, how, what are we going to do this year?
1: You right. But you know, you're doing, I mean, chaos exists on so many fronts, right? You're looking at where am I going to distribute my content? You're struggling with what type of content should I create? Right. Um, you're looking at where am I gonna how am I gonna monetize my content from you know indirect advertising direct advertising commerce subscriptions subscriptions yeah. and, you know um, so all of those things means that like you're dealing with like a multi-dimensional cube mm-hmm. now I love that mm-hmm. um, but but it, there's times when it's exhausting sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> look at me man <laughs> we've all we've all aged <laughs> um,
0: well great uh, is there anything else you want to say on this this is the five year uh, mark of your tenure at Hearst? I
1: don't know. How are you getting home? It's really <laughs> it's snowy snowing outside. out there. Uh, There's no one around. It's so fun to be here. We're having a beer. <laughs> um, we, and we live in the same neighborhood, so we, we could probably take the subway together. I might even take a taxi. I got another meeting after this. Can you believe it? Yeah, so if you can wait, I'll pick you up. There. Well, I really appreciate you having me.
0: Thanks, for Thanks. Thanks. See you. I want to thank Troy for joining us. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of AdAge. You've been listening to AdAge, and I want to thank you for listening. I also want to thank David Hall for producing today's podcast, and I would like to encourage you to check us out at adage.com. Subscribe to us at iTunes. Listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever good podcasts are heard. Give us all of the stars. Tell a friend. Tell your parents. Tell a loved one. Come back next week, and we'll see you again.